0: thanks for listening to the toronto legends podcast i am your host andrew applebaum my guest today is simon bennett his twitter handle says it all the sports voice guy Simon's distinctly energetic and booming voice can be heard on 680 News as their morning show sports reporter. He is also the public address announcer for the Toronto Marlies, which is the minor league affiliate of our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. And he is also a freelance voiceover talent and actor. Welcome Simon to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I'm in my very
1: cold basement. Um, actor, that's a new one. Uh, um, I'm in, out in Scarborough. Shout out, love Scarborough. Even, even today it's cold. Yes. And what part of Scarborough are you in? I'm out of, people know the Guild. I'm out by Gilded area. Um, okay. Been out here. It's funny, when we moved out to Scarborough, I, I, I came to this, when I, when I first lived in Canada, and that's a whole other story. I started in Scarborough, went to North York, and I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to go back to Scarborough. And then my wife was like, oh, there's this house in Gilwood. I'm like, where is that? Because it's kind of hidden. People don't know where Gilwood is. It's kind of hidden off of Kingston Road. You have to know where to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And uh, yeah, t- uh, 11, y- uh, 10 years out here. Uh, I-, I never want to leave. This is my forever
0: house now. Fabulous. Uh, well, let's go, if we may, all the way back and get the Simon Bennett story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And, and please describe your upbringing. So I was, and I actually don't talk to
1: my friends about this a whole lot because I hide it well, but I'm actually German born, Mm -hmm. born in West Berlin. Um, I don't remember any of that because um, within a year I was in England. So um, my dad was an engineer and he kind of worked all over Europe. Uh, Like he ended up working in Jerusalem for a little bit. Over Christmas, one year, he just sort of did the traveling and working thing. Met my mom in Berlin, and I happened. But he had always, he, my dad is a Brit. So he, I think he had always intended on going home. So I was about a year old when we moved to England. Most of my England time was in this little town called Newport Pagnell, okay. which is about nine minutes away from Milton Keynes. And I found out from watching Drive to Survive that that's where the Red Bull people are. I'm just at the current season of Netflix where they actually rip Milton Keynes to shreds and say it's boring. So, you know, um, I, but I haven't really been back. Yet, so I was about 10 years old, late 80s. We came here. I don't really know what led to us moving to Canada or anything like that. I don't know what, what I knew about Canada when I was 10, 11 years old. But uh, so we made it out to Scarborough, late 80s. And I've and, been here ever
0: since. And where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to junior high? Where'd you go to high school?
1: So it's funny. I actually did four different schools in four years. So I was out in Scarborough for a little bit. And then, uh, so we did end of grade five and grade six. I was at St. Andrew's out in Burmorton. Mm-hmm. and then, um, naturally moved to Edgewood, which is, I still once in a while drive by the pe- the fish and chip place where it kind of backs into, we go and have lunch in grade seven. Then, uh, late in, um, during my grade 7 year we moved to um, North York so if anyone knows grayton Hall I lived in the condos not the condos but the apartment buildings up there sure so I did grade 8 at Donview Middle School then in my entire high school life was at George's Henry Academy don't let the academy <laughs> fool you weird it's a it's an academic focused school if you ever hear George's Henry Academy when I was there there were only two quote unquote academies in the TDSB system it was us at RH King yes so um so yeah, so I went to Georgia's Henry for my entire high school career, and fabulous through the and whole then, year, uh, my English accent, English accent slowly went away.
0: <laughs> it, I don't detect any of it today. Now, when you finished at Georgia's Henry, you moved on to university. Where'd you go?
1: Went to Ryerson or whatever it's called now. Um, yeah,
0: that's true. Right?
1: Ryerson many many years ago when I was there. It was a while back, but uh, yeah, uh, late nineties. I uh, did a uh, Ryerson, and the thing for me going there was like. At the time, um, I was in the journalism program, which was super hard to get into. I still don't know how I got in, except I mean, I know people who are, aren't old enough listening that don't remember OAC, aka grade 13, which doesn't yes. exist. Uh, and I knew I wanted to get into journalism, so I didn't do a whole lot of the science and math. So, like, my, you know, how they picked, they used to pick your top six and average them out. So, like, I did, let me think, I think the ones I did finite math, which was a, I got through. And then I did like, it was music, French, German, English. I'm sure it was something harder in there. Uh, and that led to my average going quite up, but I was lucky enough to get in because at the time Ryerson was like one and 18 or so got wow. into the journalism program. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so I got into Ryerson and, uh, and the cool thing about, because I knew, I knew I wanted to get into sports broadcasting from probably early high school. And, uh, just anyone who's gone to university for the field of their choice, you kind of meet your kindred spirits, you know, like, I want to do that too. I want to do that too. So, and you know, I'm not going to name drop, but there are some pretty cool people that ended up doing big things in my class.
0: Uh, Please do name drop. This is an (laughs) appropriate time to do it.
1: Okay. At the top of my head, Sean Fitzgerald was in my class. One of the first guys I met fantastic writer for the athletic Um, Steve D'Souza, who's at CBC, um, Signa Butler, who's at CBC. Now, Signa Butler was one of the grad students. The way the journalism program worked when I was there was, yeah, I was in the four year program. And then in our last year, you combined with the two year, like secondary post grad, whatever it is. Okay. Signa so was one of the post grad uh, people that I got to know there. Uh, actually worked together on a couple of things, including I think the Raptors unveiled their uniform and we went with our school camera. And it was like Vince Carter and like Rod, Ma- who's who's oh, I don't even remember the guy's name. It was like, not Rod it was like, uh, I'm going blank, but it was a guy that didn't pan out too much, but he was okay. a uniform, unveiling. It was pre-Vince
0: <laughs> Carter insanity. Pre-Vince insanity. And was there a co-op component at Ryerson?
1: Yes, and uh, it was actually funny. Um, I was already at the score within my third year. So um, it was kind of a thing I kind of did on my own. I called up various people looking for experience, and they were like, yeah, we need interns, because we have, like, no staff. <laughs> Cause they were super small. They had just started. Like, I think I got there when it was still headline sports and they were, um, maybe a year in. So, but I did my, I had my six week placement for Ryerson as well. A year after I was already there. And instead of, uh, just doing, I could just easily done it, paid it the score. And I just decided not to, this would not have been allowed now. There's no way I could have gotten away with this now, but I ended up doing it at talk 6:40. Okay. Interned in at their morning show. And that was, uh, so it was, that was back when Michael Coren hosted the morning show. This is like yeah. fall of 99. Um, but I worked in the newsroom, so it was like some legends there, like Larry Silver, Evelyn Maco, Jimmy mm-hmm. Lang was the sports director. Um, I know I'm missing some names. I would brush shoulders. This was back when – this was long before the chorus guys moved to Chorus Key. I actually ended up getting a condo years later, not far from where they were, up at Young and Empress. So um, – this big old gray building, which I think is just, it's still there as an office building, but my, one of my old con, like my old condo was right around the corner. Yeah. So I would, I would brush fingers with, I would rub, you know, elbows with the odd Q person. I remember bumping into Colleen Russell when I was there, she was over there. Yeah. I'm sure there's other names I could drop that I've totally forgotten now, but uh, <laughs> it's actually funny. If you go, if you go around the corner up there, it's a, it's uh of Doris Avenue. If you go up there, there's yep. still the sign Jesse and Jean way with the old Q logo on it. It's still wow. there. I don't think anything's on that street at all but it's no. still there from when they were up that up that area.
0: No, we 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 honor our people. I'm I'm from North York and the other the, the other big one is the uh, Alex and Getty uh, park just around the corner from there which which came afterwards. But so Simon, you went coming from school or even during school it sounds like you went Headline Sports, The Score, Talk 640. So these were all kind of different experiences of the same ilk, or would you say they were distinctly different in your mind? Oh, very different. And um, toxic 640 was never meant to lead to anything.
1: Um, it was just I, I did it as my Ryerson placement, and I actually got decent experience out of it. I kind of lucked into it. Um, um, I guess with 640, I was helping out in the morning show. Actually, the the one sort of big break it was like I actually had my first like live on air experience with them, mm. and it was um. Anyone who remembers this, late 99, around November 99, there was a kid by the name of Matty Baranoski. I think he was 17 years old. Yes. He got into a running with bullies, and he got beaten, and they killed the kid. Like, he, he got essentially beaten to death by bullies who took it obviously very much too far. So I was in the morning after this all happened, and they got wind that there was an arrest. Now, at this old location, they were down the street from 34 Division, so they actually sent me down the 34 Division waiting in the parking lot. And uh, to see if the police would come and talk, if you would see if there was any word that they had brought someone in. So I it was literally just a stakeout. I got lucky. I happened to know the guy who worked. Uh, I knew I knew the guy who worked at the global truck at the time, and he let me sit inside the truck and hang out with him because it was so cold. And then, um, and then after a while, I'm pretty sure someone from 680 drove by. Oh no, they gotta do it down at college. And he drove off. And they're like, oh, don't believe that guy. It's probably someone I work with now. Who knows? <laughs> it was just this, funny. How that, this is in, in the heat of the action. You're thrown right into the fire. It was, well, they just needed someone to s- sort of stand there. So what they ended up doing, and it sort of just happened out of nowhere, at the park where it happened, G. Ross Lord Park, I think it was. Yes. They actually had a mini memorial for him. So they sent me down there, and at this point it was the drive-home show, and Larry Silver was filling in, hosting that show, and I had my very old clear net cell phone, and what they were doing was – they would have me go on live, describe the scene. I would set up interviews, pass the phone to whoever was there, like whether it was a parent or, or someone from the area. She would talk to him live on the air. Then he'd pass me the phone back and say like another thing. And then i would be it. Did a couple of segments like that. And that was my first time live on air anything. Wow. It just sort of happened. And I didn't totally screw it up. So I got to do a few more things after that. Uh, including New Year's. Remember when Y2K was a thing and they thought everything was going to turn off? Yes. Were you involved with this? A little bit. um, They had me with my very old phone um, at the corner. Now, if you remember, New Year's that year was at they didn't do it at Nathan Phillips Square. They did it at, uh, oh, what was it, down on Front? They had the fireworks okay. come off the CN Tower and everything. They had me at Young and Dundas, basically, in case anything happened. I'd be there to capture the looting and everything. <laughs> there, were, there were some unsavory people kind of waiting around oh, for the power to turn off, which obviously did not happen. But I was like the second, first or second guy on the air after midnight New Year's that year. They talked to someone from the police force first and then me just describing the scene there was no one there yet I'm like well there's no one here yet everyone's at water at the harbor front and someone heard me oh no we're here and then slowly people like made their way up so yeah i got to do some live radio with 640 kind of lost touch with them in the months after because i had school and i was through all this working part-time at what was then had life sports so i had yeah. the balance of a bit i remember they they called me for something there was a stabbing at a school or something a few months after and I didn't get the call because I was in the shower and then I went to work. I had to go. I was working score that night, so I never called them back. And I remember calling them, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't get your call. And I never heard from them again. I'm like, ah, oh, but who knows? But, you know, my future kind of went through the sports and score trajectory. from Yeah. There.
0: Things work out for the right reasons. Yeah. And and Simon, did you have any jobs, whether they were summer jobs? Did you have any jobs that were outside of media or outside of journalism? Um, so... First job I ever had was, actually, it's a funny story. Um,
1: first kind of job I ever had was at the, what is now the Rogers Cup, but was then the Duborier. Okay. I worked in the buffet tent there. <laughs> they had me cooking food at first, but then they but they ended up like, uh, they had me cooking food at first, but then it was, uh, they, they noticed they didn't know what I was doing because I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old. And like, that chicken is pink. What do you mean it's pink? I can't tell. They give me you no know, torch. There's no light. I can't tell. I can't know what I'm doing. I can't cook. So they moved me into the the buffet tent where they're like, I'm, I'm handing out like high-end lasagna to the uh, bigwigs. Funny story. That was the year Monica Salas came back. Oh, so in, boy. I remember that was like her first tournament after she'd been stabbed and took two. Yeah. Years. So the security was everywhere. And it was just kind of cool to see, um, uh, just how it was. And, uh, how that happened, so I did that. That was like a week long job, and then, um, and then, uh, my I, did, I worked at Geos Aquatics, which was like a private swimming lesson place up in North York. I was like the office guy for a bit. I worked at Shout Out Yorkdale Mall, if yes, anyone, Yorkdale. I worked at the Tim Hortons, but the year before they became a Tim Hortons, it was Yorkdale Cafe, so I was there for the last year of Yorkdale Cafe. And then the owners, the Brown family, got the franchise for Tim's and they switched over. I'll never forget. They opened the Tim's. And if those who remember Yorkdale, it's like right by the subway. So if you yep. go into the subway or to go, you're walking by, it's a fantastic traffic area. If you're the Tim's and I remember they reopened as Tim's a week before Christmas. So we'd have lineups out the door we're trying to figure out what's going on. And um, so, yeah, so I worked at the Tim's at Yorkdale. And then I did that until show a beginning of third year when i called up and i ended up interning at the score and i worked for free for six months but i decided you know i'd i'd put aside osap money i was like you know what i gotta try this so yeah um i quit tim's and focused on that even though they didn't pay me for the first few months and it was right at the point where um i was right at the point where i was gonna have to go listen i gotta you guys gotta start paying me or i going to go get another job at a restaurant or something and then they hired yeah. me. so um so the tim's was It's like my last non broadcast job.
0: Well, I I think quite a leap of faith on your part. I mean, you can look back now. I mean, obviously you made the right call to, but that's tough at that age. Someone says you can have a job. We're not going to pay you. And and, you know, you got other priorities too. So, but looking back, obviously that was the right move. Well, looking back, I was lucky. I mean,
1: (laughs) my parents were already divorced. So I was living with my mom. It was just me and her. And you know, I, it was a leap of faith. it was a leap of faith I kind of had to take and I'm glad I did because I got hired and never left like it just consecutively from the score to Rogers and everything like it just sort of worked out that way.
0: It worked out great. Now I of course enjoy your sports updates at 15 and 45, but <laughs> my major point of jealousy is your gig as the public address announcer with the Marlies. My props to you because you've achieved the the practical manifestation of every kid's dream. Everyone wants to play in the pros but as we know that's less than one percent chance you're going to get to the pros but it's much more i learned a long
1: time ago i learned a long time ago Sorry to interrupt i learned a long time ago that i was very bad at sports playing so i was like i think i'm gonna do it this way instead work in sports this
0: way (laughs) well you and i and i think it's much more reasonable if you if you combine your passion with something a little more practical so I guess, how did you get into this? You're now in your 14th season with the Marlies. How did you get the job to be the PA announcer? I practiced in the shower for many years. <laughs> um,
1: kids, practice in the shower. The acoustics are better. It's better for your voice. Um, your tip. So around 07-ish, I started like looking around. The only real PA experience I had before that when I was at Ryerson, I actually did the hockey team there. Okay. And this is long, obviously, long before Mattamy was a the thing. They played at St. Mike's. Yes. So it was like a 20 or so minute commute, you know, subway and streetcar. I used to go subway and streetcar and I'd have this massive duffel bag of tape so queued up because I was the music guy too. And would, there was no one there. Like it would literally would be like, I'd go out with a wireless mic with a t-shirt who wants a t-shirt and be like, go Queens. All right. I'm going back in here. So, um, 2007 I applied for TFC before they launched. Okay. Um, which is funny cause I'm doing some work for them now <laughs> so many years later, but, uh, and then, um, fall of '07, um, I applied for the Marlies. It was a job posting, it was on MLSE's job board, and I was just like, oh, okay. And I got an audition, and I, it, the audition process is very interesting. It's literally like you just do some fake reads and a empty, what was then Rico Coliseum, and okay, you know, a couple of goals, starting lineups, pregame reads, all those things you would do during the course of a game. So there was the audition part, and then I went to the uh. And then I went to uh, the office, waiting outside the office for the sort of interview part with whoever worked in the office, and I forget who it was. I remember my first year working with him was Jen Millard. Um, I forget if it was her I was talking to who it was. But I'm waiting outside the office, and out walks Jay Michaels, who was in One Half of Mad Dog, and Billy. And okay. in, he didn't see me, but I saw him, and I'm like, oh, he's getting this. And he did. So he did. That would have been 7 08. He got that. He, he was the guy that season. And then fall of 08, it opened up again. Same thing, job board. I have no idea what happened with Jay, if it was a mutual parting, whatever it was, but it just happened to be open again. And uh, so I applied again. And instead of doing the audition process, I got called to the office at Air Canada Center by a guy by the name of Paul McKenna, who was in charge of Raptors Game Ops, I think then. Okay. He said, listen, we have a guy by the name of Brad Davidson, who the year before was Duke. The guy in the costume, and now is he was he was moving up to be a guy, assistant equipment manager behind the bench. He vouched for your audition. Can you do Saturday's game? And that was on a Thursday. Like what? All right then. So I did that Saturday, and I'm almost in 500 games since that was just that how I-
0: fantastic. What, what what was Dan Dunleavy's role? I I thought at one time was he doing the announcing, or was, how was he related to the Marleys? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, we okay. never crossed
1: paths. What I was there, what, uh, he may have done play-by-play in the early years, but I'm not sure because be it is. was because um, I know. Although well, I'm not sure because I think John Bart. When I started there, John Bartlett was play-by-play. John mm-hmm. Bartlett, fantastic voice. Now with Rogers, and he's done Habs games over the years too. Great guy. Um, I never saw it done. I know Lejoie did stuff, but maybe with the Roadrunners. I yeah. don't remember. Because, like, there are people at the AHL off-ice that worked Roadrunners games, too, for that one year, and they're like, oh, yeah, Lujois did this, and some this guy did that. I'm like, so maybe, I, I don't know. I never crossed paths with Dunleavy. He may have, oh, they oh, may have done stuff for Rogers. Yeah. The, the and- names kind of circle through, because Rogers used to do the games before Leaf Station Network kind of started doing them all. So uh, um, guys like Dan Dunleavy, Kayla Harris, people like that swung through over the years, Ardo Ocal uh did games um hosting on the cycle. Like, we had we had a little table set up above the rink so maybe he did that i don't recall we never crossed paths
0: well let's let's talk a little marlies if we may with five games left it looks like a tight race for the playoffs how are you feeling about the team at this point in the season and how invested do you get in the team's success Oh, very invested um now i don't know if
1: people should know the AHL playoff format is very strange this year it's kind of partially to do with covid mhm It's kind of like the NBA plans, but not. Because so in the Marlies division, the North division, it's seven teams, the top three get into the first round. Four against five will face off in a best of three to essentially get the fourth spot. And then six doesn't make it. And what also makes it complicated is because all the divisions have different number of games, uh, most most teams play 76 but the Pacific Division out west only plays 68 because of travel and because most of the other teams are far away. So it's by points percentage, not by points per se. Okay. So um, the Marlies right now are in sixth, but they're playing pretty much all divisional rivals for the last week or so of the season. Big game coming up as we talk. this coming Sunday against Belleville, the final home game. Hopefully not the final home game. Yeah. Hopefully they're back for playoffs. So they could end up like fourth still. It's all over the place. Um. I think the thing with the Marlies, they had a really bad COVID outbreak in December. Um, they didn't play for like a month. Sort of making, they've been making up games, very similar to what you've seen around, you know, the Leafs and even sure. the OHL, which really got hit hard with COVID and had to take pauses. Pretty much everyone on the team got COVID, from what I understand. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of perseverance. Um, people who have watched the Leafs, you've seen guys like Brett Cini make it through. Joseph Wall, beginning of the year and now Eric Shalgren now. And I think to an extent we were all kind of su- not totally surprised, but I think it speaks a lot to how the Maple Leafs run their levels, not just with the Marlies, but with the Growlers. And because Kyle Dubas has always looked at it as a triple-A, double-A. It's so, so, sort of unlike what many organizations do. So mm-hmm. the fact that Wall was ready and start, won his first three games, but the fact that Shalgren was ready, I think mm-hmm. says a lot about the development system. Um Also, they've got... um They've got Robertson who has been down with us most of the year and he had a rough time. So it's funny. The first game of the year in October, they put Robertson and Josh Hosang on the same line. And it was like, this is going to be appointment viewing for the year. Like they were like incredible in that first game. And then game two, Robertson broke his leg. Mm. So he went like a good three, four months without playing. So it's been an interesting year for him as for the team. They're battling, I think you always see inconsistency. They've had injuries. Um, Joey Anderson has been quite something for them, and he was hurt for a bit. Has, I think, five or six short-handed goals, like just incredible numbers like that. They've got some guys who are contributing. I really like Sini. Mm-hmm. If you ever see Curtis Douglas yes. playing center, he's playing on Rich Clown's line, but playing at center 6'8", 250, he's a beast. If he can, like, make the NHL, like, I'm seeing it. Like, he's really improved this year. He's one of those guys you really see the improvement from September to now. Yep. I've, I'm interested to see what his ceiling is. Um, but, you know, it's they're a very young team, and that leads to inconsistency. They'll look fantastic at home against whoever they're playing, and then they'll go to Syracuse and lose 5-1. So, who knows? We're watching... Uh, this Sunday is the last home game. They've got a whole week on the road to end the year, and AHL road trips are not easy because it's the bus rides and everything. So we'll yeah. see. I'm cautiously optimistic. We at least get a four or five matchup, but we'll see.
0: Well, that's good. And and and, Simon, you touched on a lot of the things. I I believe that the Toronto Marlies are a completely underappreciated gem of our city. It's professional hockey. Many of the players are going to be in a Leaf uniform this season. It'll be next season. You talked about a few. Nick Robertson, Josh Hosang, Joey Anderson. We might even have to deal with Michael Hutchinson again here with the Leafs. It's easy to get tickets. It's easy to get there. It's very fan-friendly. Why don't we appreciate the Marlies enough? Oh, man. Thank you for that. Because, like,
1: I think the Marlies have always been like like the – you know the worst kept secret in the city yes if you go to a marley's game i guarantee you'll come back that's the one thing i will say like um even on a and even on a wednesday and then we had some random weeks where it was snowing and people couldn't get there and of course covid and but even if there's a smallish crowd the base crowd that we have the season ticket holders care and it'll be loud and um you know and then when we do get good crowds it's fantastic i think the one thing the marley's have done better and this has been an improvement since i started there is they really focus on families on the hockey teams you'll see like you know they'll focus on minor hockey teams coming as a group and you know it's a good experience and it's not expensive it's a great experience and um I, I go back to when they won the Calder cup in 2018 and the place yes. was full every night. And I wish you could bottle the energy from some of those games and put them and keep them. So if you're in any bad mood, just open it and get that energy <laughs> back. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it was, you know, that place when there's people there. And even when they, there isn't, it's a great place to watch a game.
0: There's no bad seat. Um, Come to a game. Come on Sunday. Absolutely. And I want to test to that. I was actually there. I assume you were on the PA. That was the first, calder cup in franchise history it was a 6-1 victory over the texas stars game 7 2018 i was there with my daughter natalie we actually made it uh, the toronto sun had a front page picture the next day and we were in the background of it it, from the crowd. and i just just exactly what you said if you ever go you'll go back we always have a great time and i love seeing these marley players uh, come up later and you say you know you had it and they really try hard i mean it sounds funny right you think at the pros they're trying, but I really get the sense the players when you play for the Marlies or in the AHL you're trying extra hard. Oh, you! I mean, you're always trying to make
1: an impression. And here's the thing: since COVID, I've been upstairs. Like um, before COVID, I'd be in the penalty box with like the AHL timekeeper and everything. And uh, uh, but where I sit now, I'm right next to the two boxes just over where the executives are. And let me tell you, if They're able to Dubas is there pretty much every game. Shelton keeps spinning games. You want to go back to the Calder year. Babcock was there all the time. Lou was there all the time. Um, I'll, I'll usually see Haley Wickenheiser with a notepad every game and some other guys like they're paying attention and, you know, like seriously paying attention. And I think, and yeah, I think the, the the slogan used to always be, you know, you know, looking to the future and, uh, they're always looking to impress, and every game is a tryout. That was the that was a long time for years, and it truly is. They're always watching. I think having the Marlies in the same city, your brass is able to have a real handle on who's next, and um, I, 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 yeah, every game, especially at home, is always a big-time effort.
0: Sure, and it's certainly practical. Uh, if they need a call-up or something, you literally just go down the street and you're at the, the other arena. Remember the uh, Dallas Aikens commercials they used to have like ten years ago. Would you rather
1: be on a on a what was it uh, a streetcar to? Would you rather be on a streetcar to a Rico Coliseum or on a, in a cab to Air Canada Center? And they have like uh,
0: guys like Jerry D'Amigo, yeah, uh, um, you know. and, and of course Dwayne Casey he was well known when he's Raptors coach to ride the TTC. So you get everyone in the city. Simon, one thing on this podcast, we love to see how the sausage gets made. We love to go behind the scenes. Are you a Marley's employee, a Leafs employee, or who's your employer? Um, neither. So it's weird. Um, so I best, the best, best way of
1: explaining it is I'm a city news employee, but for, for stuff I do with them, I'm freelance. So, okay. I, they tell me to show up. Like, I mean, I'm freelance. Like Marley's is my number one. Um, I've done some stuff with TFC this year, filling in, helping them out as well, which has been a cool experience. And, uh, Got to do Canada-Jamaica, which was insane. Well, I must have been insane. Oh, so good. It was so much fun. The place shook, man. When everyone, like, after I think the second or third goal, like, it was it was incredible. And as a European export, seeing Canada come from where they are to be in the World Cup. Yeah. Like, if Canada ends up playing England England at some point, I'm going to be very conflicted. But we'll we'll, 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 we'll Soccer
0: see. is back in the news in Toronto, for sure. It is. is amazing. So when yeah, you I'm freelance. Go, I consider myself freelance to ask an independent question. contractor. Yes, I guess when when you go, take us through if you don't mind on a, on a Marley game day. What, what actually do you do? Do you like what time do you show up? Where do you go? Where do you do your job from?
1: So um, I'm usually there uh, two hours before game time. We usually have I uh, work with the game operations, the game ops department. For those who don't know what game ops department would mean, anything you see during the course of the game, stuff on the screen, um, people throwing out T-shirts. At the Leafs, things like going way back, the goalie race or whatever. Yeah. The way they look at it is the game is a show. So if the game's not happening itself, there's a stoppage in play or intermission, we're entertaining you some other way, whether it's on the screen or, you know, uh, um, something or like a a, a trivia contest or, you know, how the Leafs bring out, like one of the alumni with the troops, all those things. So they kind of look at it like a theater, like your game is a show. They really have a good quote from Joe DiMaggio. This might be a fan's first and only time ever going to a game. We owe it to that fan to put our best out there every night. They tell us that DiMaggio quote beginning of, beginning of every year. So uh, I get there on a 7 o'clock game. I'll get there at 5. We have a quick meeting going over what we're doing. For me, it's nothing really changes. I just need to know when to start talking. And then I'll go up to the booth and we'll do a quick sound check and I'll um, go, spend a lot of the time kind of going through and um, making sure I get get all the names right. So I usually sit there on YouTube and any of the names I don't know on the other team, I'll just kind of google them real quick and make sure I get them all. Yeah so I don't because I think that you know I want to treat the other team with respect as well. And then pre-code, it used to be I'd be very social. I'd go around and talk to people and hey, how's it going? And catch up. And I'm doing a bit of that, but obviously way up where I am now, it's a little harder because I'm out of shape and I don't want to go up the stairs too much. <laughs> where, uh, where, where is the booth? Where do you where do you actually so broadcast from? I'm two doors over from Todd Crocker now. So if you go, if you go to a game and you see the TSN ten fifty logo, I'm there. Yep. So that's where I am now. Like I said, I used to be in the penalty box pre-COVID, right between the boxes and oh, the things wow. I would hear would make your hair grow. Um <laughs> but um but now because of distancing and everything I'm upstairs. I can actually see the game a lot better from up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ice level is very difficult. Yeah, you, you get used to it. You, you, I think each has its each has its advantages. Um but I have that booth to myself. I have this massive space to myself. It's kind of ridiculous. I'm like
0: will will you be returning there post COVID so to speak, or do you think you'll stay up?
1: I don't know. We haven't really talked about it. I've always said to them, you put me where you want to put me. I'm still very uncomfortable around crowd, like just around groups. I'm a bit of a, a quite paranoid that way. Uh, I'm one of those guys that I'm not going to be used to going out and stuff. Which is funny because we're telling fans to come to the games, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I think right now I like being where I am if COVID is an absolute thing. Also, I have kids that bring COVID home with me that hasn't happened yet, but I mean, we're talking about how cases are going up in schools. So yeah. I think for everyone's safety, it's good that I'm not down there. And then, um, you know, like, uh, but if they tell me, yeah, you're going down to the box. COVID's just the flu. Um, then in a couple of years
0: and so be it, I'll go where they Tell me to go. And today when you're upstairs, uh, how do you get the information fed to you that you're then reading out to the crowd? Okay. So I have
1: a script that I have, A lot of it is the same, just, you know. Um, So I have a headset, and I literally have three channels, three different people talking to me on the headset. One is Vanessa, who is sort of the director of the game from a gamma's perspective, basically my boss there. Then I have whoever's doing the clock, so the clock will relay penalties, goals, but mostly penalties at this point. And then I have the official score in my head as well uh, from the AHL, and they'll tell me who scores a goal, assists, all that stuff. And uh, and that official score also relays scratches and starting lineups to me before the game. Okay. So it all comes in my headset as like one place. We used to do a pre-COVID where we would have someone from Game Ops with a little note paper go to the AHL guy because I think what they used to do is they would go to each locker room and just confirm lineups, and then they would sort of relay to him on a headset. But now it's yep. all done – digitally so they just kind of wait i think they do it on like this some kind of setup and they wait for the coach to like hit okay and then it's locked in it's all um technology now so everything gets relayed to me in the headset i just kind of sit in the booth and wait for info
0: now simon i want to give you a little credit i mean you just spoke about you personally to show respect for these players you put time into getting all the names right but i want to say something about you the AHL it's a developmental league players are cycling through there it's crazy how many players play for particular teams. And then in particular, now you're getting players from all over the world. I have a very dear, dear friend, Risto Pakarainen. He's a very prominent European hockey journalist. Now he's Finnish. He also speaks English and Swedish, but he laughs every time I screw up a consonant or I misplace an amulet. Like whoever, for example, whoever thought our, our current goalie would be Shalgren. Uh, right. Okay. So how do, how do you handle this? Every team coming in to play the Marlies has someone you've never seen before, you may never see again, and with a name that may not be familiar. Um, practice is really what it is. And I think if I'm ever
1: in doubt, I think each nationality, there's sort of a way certain names are said, like never taking it for granted as well. But like I think a Finnish name is said slightly differently than say – um if that same guy was born in the u.s you know what i mean because i i think um it's literally i learned the hard way that i would look like a real idiot if i didn't know the names the first game i ever did there's a guy on the marley's name yuha watala watala spelled u-t-o-i-l-a and that was watala i'm like so i hadn't figured out that i had to learn the names like nothing was really given to me phonetically. it is to an extent but I am a very v- audio learner. I don't just read the frenetics. I, I feel like it, I still get it wrong. So I spent the whole game, the whole pregame, hoping that I wouldn't have to say his name. And he was a scratch. I'm like, oh, oh. Uh, not, not playing with the Marlins. You have, just kind of
0: <laughs> fumbled it away. Um, so I learned very early. How players interact with you? Like, did they ever interact with you and tell you, hey, you said that wrong, say it this way. Do you have any interaction with players? Very little Um, for the Barleys is relayed to me by their PR people
1: Um early in the year and early in the early days. And going back to how I was in the penalty box, there was this guy from the flames organization, David van Der Gulick. And I used to call him van Der Gulick slight difference. Right. And he chirped, he got a penalty a and he yelled at me about it. You got a penalty. There was another guy though. It's spelled. It's he it actually plays on the stars. Matthew Toussignier, but it's spelled Toussignant aunt or to sign aunt But I got it right, Toussignier. And I guess what he was doing was he would look at the visit. Like, whenever they were on the road, they would look at the announcers and go, okay, is he going to get my name right? And I did. And he goes, ooh. He kind of waked at me. Yeah. I'm like, you got it. So How good did that feel? Oh, pretty good. So I was like, did I get it right? Did I get it right? Yeah. I'm like, okay. That's bad. So, I mean, the interaction is pretty, if it was a Marley's guy, I'd hear from the PR people pretty quickly or from the people I'm talking to with Headset, if I get it wrong. There's also times where, for example, Rasper Sandin, we called Sandin for the first, like, few months. What typically happens when they get called up to the NHL, they kind of go, okay, this is what I want to be called now. And I'm like, why didn't you tell us we're saying it wrong for months? Yeah. Um, my favorite is we had a guy by the name of Victor Louvre. And it's one of those ones where it's not Louvre, but it's not love either. But he told everyone it was love at first. And I think it may have been a practical joke. Mm -hmm. So we were love for the first year. And Marley's Twitter would have all these, whenever he would score, they would have all these love uh, love is all around. Yeah. And then, actually, it's Louvre. So we, we became Louvre, but it's really Louvre. So it's, 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 there's the odd one. I, I actually get pretty annoyed because I'm like, oh man, just tell me what your name is. Because yeah. um, I remember talking to Todd Crocker about Shalgren. Because beginning of the year, I'm kind of comparing notes with him. Hey, so, okay. Now it's called Shalgren. And apparently he told him, no, just say Calgren, because it's going to sound ridiculous. Because it's like, I, I don't know if he had the confidence that we would say it properly. Yeah. But now, and, and I remember when he got called up, hey, just so you guys know, I think I texted the Leafs guys, it's Shalgren. It's Shalgren, it's not Calgren, And he right. ended up playing. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And I think I remember hearing on the radio, they called him Colgren the first time and then they heard Mike Ross say, the name, oh, apparently it's Shalgren. Now everyone's getting it right. So that's my contribution to the Maple Leafs this year.
0: <laughs> we're all getting it right now. And certainly yeah. we're going to get it right if he can take us a few rounds. I wonder who, uh, how much freedom you have. Uh, You'll kind of know what I'm saying. It used to be a way to make fun or jest of a situation for example, someone goes to the penalty box. They play the uh, Law and Order uh, sound of the cell cell door closing. And even back in the day, I remember the organist playing Three Blind Mice when a ref made a horrible call. Do you have any kind of freedom, or are you just you got to really play it clean and and not take any chances you might offend somebody or something?
1: Stay in my lane. There's really no <laughs> stay in your lane. You know, uh, I I've seen other NHL teams, like NHL teams, do things. Remember the thrashers used to have a thing where they would have like someone from the other team went to the box and they would have like some video of someone else in that same uniform. And as it would have it would be as if he'd let one rip and the you'd see a guy in the background go, oh, what's that smell? We don't really do that. Like I think we treat everyone with respect and we treat the opposition with respect and also. A lot of the if we were to mess around with certain things, that stuff ends up on the other team's locker room wall, and we don't want to be responsible. And like if a player says something to get them upset, that's them. But we kind of stay out of that. So yeah, we we play it straight.
0: And related to that, I wonder about your thoughts about delivery. Now I'm not sure your age, but I can tell you 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 were you around when Paul Morris was doing the Leafs? Yes, yes. So I'm going to give you my best impression. He obviously had to straight (laughs) up Rick Vive from Gary Lehman and Bill Lego time 1426 five from Lehman and Derlego, 1426 versus uh Herbie from who was the Raptor guy in my day. Six, six power forward from USC. And do you have a favorite way? Is someone tell you what to do? Do you feel you should show your personality or do you show just the facts?
1: Um, Anything in my personality comes out a little bit. I also don't really have an off switch. So I go full out. Like, when they're in the playoffs, like the Calder Cup year, I had no voice after game seven. <laughs> that was a disaster. Because um, they would also have me, like, get, you know, they once in a while they had me get the crowd going, like, make some noise, I can't hear you, which Mike Ross doesn't do on the Leafs, and Andy Frost didn't do on the Leafs. And, uh, you know, I think when I started there, they kind of, said yeah the marley's game ups we borrow a lot from everybody so not just the leafs but the raptors so that kind of enthusiasm um we kind of felt i think we kind of like the leafs light more so now but you know mike ross is very you know he, he, he's very i don't want to say deliberate but he, he he kind of has the same level every with every call right like yeah you could hear austin matthews with his 50th goal and his first goal i would kind of say the same and i think that was by design yeah and i think in that regard, and he's more enthusiastic than Paul Morris. Toronto goals, scored by number 93, Doug Gilmore, which I loved as well.
0: Yeah. But,
1: you know, I think he's more, I think you have to understand, too, the Maple Leafs have such a long tradition. And it's, he's literally the only third guy in my lifetime to have that job, too. So, like, you know, I think he borrows a bit from Paul Morris, borrows a bit from Andy Frost, borrows a bit from himself. I'm a little more out there enthusiastic when it comes to enthusiasm. Um I don't have a really bar from anybody. Like, I mean, I hear Herbie, I hear, you know, other teams and what they do. So we have this little PA announcer, especially early in COVID, we would do like these little Zoom meetings with PA announcers. we compare oh, yeah. notes and how we did things. Yeah. It's all these guys with really loud voices. It got really loud in here. Um, <laughs> but um yeah, you know, my personality comes out a little bit, but not overtly. You know what I mean? I just yeah. don't have an off switch. Like if you come to a playoff game, you'll hear Squeaks. That's just funny like when we did the Canada Jamaica game there used to be a joke in the Marlies when the games got bigger I would squeak more because oh. I lose my voice a little bit so at the Canada Jamaica game we kind of did like a cup presentation without a cup like the presentation is they're going to Qatar right so they had me do this like big read at the end and you know the part where they're all standing behind that banner qualified and they're all like ah! yeah yeah I'm like, all right, Canada, for the first time in 36 years, we're going to Qatar, except I lost my voice at the end. So I was like, we're going to Qatar. And uh, and that happens once in a while. (laughs) Um, But um,
0: it's probably not good for my voice to do that, actually, but I, I do you want to stay in your range. Now, Simon, what happens if you, you you have a life too? Like what happens if you're well, a few categories. One is if you're ill, but another is like you got someone, your cousin's getting married or something's going on with your your family. What's are you what's excusable and or, or do you have to show up every time come hell or high water? So, they've been really good with me, um the Marleys have because
1: I have so when we moved, the score was good about um Working around my Marley's schedule, but it wasn't so easy at Sportsnet. The few years I was the first few years I was there when, for those that don't know, Rogers bought the score, became Sportsnet three hundred and sixty. and We kind of a lot of us moved over, which is my indirect direction to getting to six hundred and eighty. But um, uh, we uh, the Marleys were really good about it. I had Alex Bloomfield who's filled in for me a lot over the last years. He's actually TFC's announcer who I'm filling in for now. Um, he is uh, he's he's filled in for me all kinds of times. And it and it wasn't just, you know, sports net obligations. The way I would do it with sports net when I was working highlights for them was a kind of take a pill and miss a few Marley's games. And I would make sure I made every playoff game. That's sort of how mm-hmm. I did it. And the Marley's were very patient with me. They're like, we'll take 75% of you as opposed to none. So I, I'm fully, I appreciate that. And working at six eighty, I haven't had that um, problem. Um, I've missed for a couple of other things. Um, at a, actually Jeffr Holman I missed a whole weekend of games for Jeffrey Holman at 680 his wedding right before covid um which an irony is I did the intro for his wedding party like Bruce Buffer style so oh, nice <laughs> so so I you know I'll, I'll miss the odd game for that um that's actually funny if they're still playing later in may we're, we're going to Vancouver to see my mom cuz I haven't seen her in 2 years and we just I was hoping for July but I got outvoted 4-1 to one within the family So okay. um, So they've been really good about it long, long, you know. Um, to, to give you a very long-winded answer They've been good about it uh, I don't think Mike Ross has missed a game ever
0: hmm. Well, Andy that was my Ross- next question what, what happens if someone for the Raptors Or the Blue Jays or the Leafs Do you guys have a, a, a replacement list, so to speak? Or is it kind of you know each other And you know your background?
1: I don't know um the Jays are a whole different animal because they're not MLSE. Um but I don't think Tim Melanchthon's missed a game, Mike Ross hasn't missed a game. Um Herbie. I know I don't, I don't think Herbie's missed a whole lot. And Herbie's day one, he's been there like over twenty five years. It's incredible. Another great person. Um so I don't know. I used to get that question a lot when it was frost like, Hey, if Andy Frost calls and sick, you get called up. Like, I don't know, it never happens. So, you know, I'll be ready for the call if it happens, but you know, I mean
0: uh I don't know. I really don't know. Um, it hasn't happened. But you did do, if I'm not mistaken, during the COVID bubble, you were working the games at Scotia yes. uh, for the Leafs, correct?
1: Yes, so what they did, Mike Ross and I kind of split the games. So he would do one day, I would do the other day. There was more of a because especially in the beginning of all that in the bubble, they were doing three games a day. Wow. So there's a lot to ask. It was like, we were doing like 13, 14 hour days. So like, it was a lot to ask Mike Ross to do every day like that. So we alternated days for the most part. Um, they wanted someone who knew French for Habs home games, quote unquote home games. Yes. So he did the Habs home games because he's bilingual and they wanted him on every leaf game, even when it was uh quote unquote, a Columbus home game. So there's a little bit, of, but for the most part, we rotated one day in one day off. Um, I the one I remember the most is I got to do that five overtime game. Wow. The um, what was it? Blue Jackets, uh, Lightning, right? And yeah, uh, um, that was crazy. We did like we did like a seventh period stretch. We did uh, uh and I got lucky because I was working six eighty mornings through all of this, and I got lucky because I was I worked six eighty the morning after that five OT game, but that game ended at nine o'clock. It was a three o'clock start and it ended like at 9.30. Had the game ended before the fourth overtime, the Bruins were supposed to play right after them. Mm-hmm. So it was, they would have played that game after, and I would have been like barely making it to my home office to work for 6.80 working straight. So I kind of got lucky there, but uh, I don't sleep much, if you get that impression. Were, um, were you in the bubble then, or how did that get worked out? So, no, I was not in a bubble. I was going in and out, going home every day but it was very restricted as to where I could go. i got a nasal swap every time I went there. Essentially. What, well, it was the rapid test. Like before we knew really what rapid tests were, they were the rapid test. So it wasn't yep. like straight up the nose, but I'd part of the process was I would go down to the main level. The wonderful people would uh, test my nose and then I would wait there for a few minutes and then, okay, you're good to go. And then I would go up, but I was really, I could, I would go in the booth where Ross is, so the booth in the control room for Game Ops. There was a certain bathroom I could use, and there was a certain room I would go to get food. And that was it. I couldn't go anywhere below uh, the 300 level was Mm -hmm. bubble only, and all the off-ice officials were in the bubble. So I was one of the few people that got to go in and out of the place.
0: That's quite an experience.
1: It was crazy. Like, The one thing... If you've ever been to like a live TV taping or something, I looked at it. It was like a live TV taping where there happened to be a hockey game. Because the minute the first say they had the they would have what was like a noon, a four, and an eight, right? Every day. Yeah. And so the noon game ends. We don't even bother announcing if it's ending in overtime, we don't even bother announcing it because no one's there. Yeah. And so the moment they left the ice, all the screens would change to the next team, and you just do it again. It's like like Price is Right, when you record like two or three shows a day, they would just change the sets over. So was it was surreal. very strange. It was very surreal. And then, you know, you kind of get used to the fake crowd noise. And the first time you announce anything, you feel like your voice is just going into nothing. It's like this big echo, like you're yelling
0: over a cliff. I, no I, maybe I didn't, I guess I didn't understand. I thought the uh, can noise was for the TV audience, but you, you had to put up with it as well.
1: We heard it. They played oh, it out boy. for us as well. I don't know if it was the same that the TV broadcast got, but what they didn't, the Marlies did this for the bubble, for like the COVID season a year ago as well. The reason they had full game ops is they wanted to make it as close to normal as possible for the players because if it just, otherwise you just might as well be playing in a pond somewhere. You know what I mean? And I think they wanted the, obviously for TV, they wanted the intensity to be there. And we've we've heard all kinds of stories about certain teams that really just didn't want to be there and just kind of didn't trial that hard. But, um, you know, uh, so they wanted to create the experience to the point where they loaded in all the, the goal songs and game ops elements from all the teams that were coming in.
0: Wow. Apparently,
1: Steve Stamkos has MC Hammer as a goal song. <laughs> Hammer time, or stammer time. It was, ooh. Um, so, yeah, each team had their own stuff loaded in, and Jimmy, the organ guy, was responsible for doing a lot of that, and he was like, I have no more room in my hard drive! <laughs> so, um,
0: he didn't know where he was at any given time,
1: <laughs> right? So no, it was it was a surreal experience. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again.
0: Well, let's. Well, we certainly hope. Hopefully not. not. Now, one of your other big freelance things, Simon, was the 2017 Invictus Games. What what's did what sports did you do, and how was that whole experience? It was
1: incredible. Um, that's a career highlight for me. I did. Oh. Um, it was. Um, I did wheelchair rugby, wheelchair basketball, and wheelchair and. Um, and the swimming. So each thing, so the wheelchair rugby, it's literally murder ball. They're just hammering each other. It was incredible. They had a celebrity game. Uh, and I'm trying to think who was all there, but like Derek Huff from uh, Dancing with the Stars, one of the guys. That's the guy I remember off the top of my head. But uh, just the respect, because for those who don't know what the Invictus games are, it's all people who were in the military and either were dealing with physical injuries or mental injuries like PTSD. So these are all people that put in their time to their countries. So massive respect. So the first, the, the wheelchair rugby final, which was at Mattam Bay Athletic Center, they found a 102-year-old World War II veteran in the crowd. And so they put him on the screen and he got a five-minute standing ovation. Like the players stopped warming up and platform. And I'm like, whoa, this is what the week's going to be like, right? Um, things like that. The uh, wheelchair, so... The crazy day was the Friday. So I did wheelchair basketball during the day and the swimming at night. So I went like 16 straight days yelling. It was all at the Pan Am Am Center, not far from my house at uh, Morningside. Yep. And it was the basketball prelims in a gym, like this little dinky gym. And Obama and Joe Biden showed up to watch. So they just kind of walk into this little gym. Apparently the U S played the final game that day. So they did a pep talk and then they came out. So it was, the game suddenly stopped and there was like all these secret service guys and Obama and Biden just sitting there in this little tiny gym watching. And I got to do it with Mike Ross, uh, the Leafs guy. We, we, We worked together on that. He did a lot of the French and I did and just worked together. And then that night was the swimming, also at the Pan Am Center, where for a while my kids were getting swimming lessons. So that was just surreal on its own. Yeah. The thing about doing the swimming is you do – it's constant if you're announcing it. And I had never done it before because you do – you kind of do the intros to each race, and you do sort of live in-house play-by-play for the race itself, and you're screaming. And what we did a lot of – because some guys had significant injuries, and they would be like, the last to come finish across the finish line. We're like still going nuts at them because they're just, it's just amazing that they're there. And then you're doing the medal ceremonies as well for each race. There were 30 races that day. So at the end of it, my voice is hanging on by a thread. And then I was up at like five in the morning, the next day to do the wheelchair uh, basketball final during the day. So, and Joe Biden presented the medals and also the medal presentations. We had Prince Harry for one, Penny Oleksiak, they had, like, honorary, you know, medal presenters. So, like, Penny Oleksiak did one. Um, it was it was so cool. It was a great experience, um, which I'll never forget. But just respect all the people that are part of it. And then they announced today that Victoria, Vancouver are hosting the Invictus Games in 2025. Okay. Coming back to the
0: red and white. Well, that's good. You had a great experience with it. Something else that you've done that's uh, more out there, I guess, is uh, the narrator for season two and three of Vegas Rat Rods, a.k.a. Uh-huh. Sin City Motors in the UK. I don't even know, uh, Simon, I have to admit, I don't know what Vegas Rat Rods is. It was on Discovery, and it was a Canadian production
1: company doing it, and they would literally go in. They'd have the whole show edited, and they just needed the voiceover. So I'd go in and fill in the blanks. Okay. It's essentially... Oh, it's like a Pip My Ride or any, like soup you know make my car really cool what these guys did this um is this uh, automotive company out near the vegas Strip, they literally take like your beat up old trucks and make them into these monster presentations it's so hard to describe but what they would come up basically i want my truck to look unique and some of the things they would do were just incredible um my yeah so i literally would go in there and voice some links in the beginning of the show and uh there was some canadian content um what was the name Twiggy Talent was like on the crew, uh, helping build these cars for the first couple of seasons I worked on, or at least the first seasons I worked on. So it was, uh, it was, it was cool to be part of just the production, how that would work, like, and you know, some really cool people behind the scenes working on it. Uh, they found me because I think they were looking for someone, and I get some voiceover work through Vox Talent. And the guy that was producing it worked at TSN and recognized my voice from whatever score thing I had done. So that's yeah. how it kind of lucked into it. But uh, anyone listening, I'd like to do more of that. Um, Rat Rods, they're moving on. They've they've changed the way they produce it. I don't even know if the show, show is still running. I know there was a season four that they didn't use us for, but
0: it was, it, was a, it, was a cool, it was a different experience. Well, I did want to ask you if you had any interest in animation or like, is your ultimate dream to be a character on the Simpsons or family guy or uh, any, I'm, I'm interested in anything yeah uh, you know like if that
1: came up it'd be great like um i remember watching some, well, obviously with my kids we watch a lot of stuff and a lot of movies on disney and peter mansbridge is on zootopia right okay. so i'm not comparing myself to him but uh whatever comes up man like uh yeah. I, i'm game i'm game All i don't right. know if i could do characters very much but if they needed some <laughs> random announcer
0: voice Well, you got the background for it. I wonder (laughs) if you get any emails or fan mail intended for Simon Bennett, the New Zealand director, producer of Power Rangers.
1: No, and I just found out recently that there's that Simon Bennett that uh, uh, works for Power Rangers. There's also a Simon Bennett that was the, I think still is the strength and conditioning coach for the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. Much better shape than I. There's also a Simon Bennett who's an assistant referee in the English Premier League. (laughs) So if I ever want to, once in a while, you know how we kind of Google our own names once in a while. I'll search yes. Simon Bennett on Twitter, and it's mostly whipping that guy over a bad call.
0: <laughs> well, let's. we're going to clarify for the record. It is not you, Simon Bennett. I have nothing to do with Power Rangers. I want um, any hot mic stories. Oh,
1: I don't have many. Um, I'm pretty careful. There was one day, so we do, um, we do games at Scotiabank Arena like once or twice a year and years ago, the off switch didn't work on the mic, and I didn't know. Uh Uh-oh. I didn't say anything bad. I got lucky. I thought, the first time it happened, I thought I'd forgotten to turn it off. They're like, what are you doing? like, But then the second time, I was talking to, because I'd be talking to the people on my headset, and I could hear it over the bulb, like, "Uh uh-oh. And I would, and from up above they could see me kind of going okay guys quiet the mic won't turn off the mic won't turn off it's like the number one nightmare i haven't had many hot mic moments for some reason when i was in the penalty box the mic we have is very omnidirectional because i would be announcing penalties or fights when the guys are screaming at each other literally five feet away from me and it would never pick up on the mic somehow so um, i'm lucky that way that is a, the hot mic thing scares me especially at the uh, 680, if I forget to turn the mic off. That, um, luckily, they switch me off when I'm done talking there.
0: When you, I wanted to ask you for 680, uh, are you scripting that yourself or do you, do you do it kind of on the fly? Who's giving you the information of all the scores and all the highlights that you want to get it's, across?
1: Uh, it's all me. I script everything myself. So, like, I'll go in like 3 in the morning. I also do um the sports for our affiliates in Kitchener, Ottawa, and um, Halifax. Okay. Show... I will spend the first couple of hours of my shift getting those. And a lot of the content spills over, but, you know, right now Kitchener Rangers are in the playoffs and the Mooseheads and Halifax are about to be in the playoffs. And then obviously Ottawa, there's the Sens, the 67s opened their playoffs yesterday, you know. So obviously you're tailoring each one to each audience. But So I'm writing all that. I think <laughs> – there's a certain – I don't think I could have done this job if I was 20-something. You have to have a certain life experience to know what to look for and to be quick at it mm-hmm. and know how to find info. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, so, for sure. Um, but, yeah, that's all me. Uh, but if I heard um, you so right, are, I, you, you,
0: are you starting 3
1: a.m., Monday yes. to Friday? Yes. What time do you go to bed? Um, depends if my kids decide to go to bed. I don't recommend doing what I do, but what I typically do is – I'll go to bed when my kids do. I try to be asleep by 9. I try to watch. Them. I stayed up for the Raptor game on Wednesday when it went yeah. to OT, and Joel Embiid hit that last second shot. Yeah. But, uh, so for big games, I will stay up and deal with it. Um, but I'll sleep a little bit, get up at like 1.30-ish, roll out of bed, go to work. My last hit for Toronto for City News 680 is at 9.45. I drive home. And then I nap and then I get up and pick my kids up from school and I rinse and repeat a little bit And then yeah. I sleep hard on the weekend.
0: Okay. I wouldn't recommend
1: jump. doing that, but, uh, that's what I do right now. It's part of the job. I word weird. I work weird hours. <laughs> I've never really worked nine to five. So this is nothing, you know, nothing new.
0: Yeah. Now I want to ask you about famous people that you may have had an interaction with and you've kind of given me your, I don't know how you can beat that. You had Biden, Obama, you had Prince <laughs> Harry. Uh, anyone else that you've had an interaction with, whether it was uh, sports or otherwise? Well, credit to Mike Ross that day actually went and got a
1: selfie with Biden. Cause I didn't have the guts to do that. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Oh man. I'm trying to think like, um, once in a while, like, um, Jeffrey Holman pre COVID would have people come in, like special guests would come in. So I have somewhere from 2019, I have a picture with Jason Priestley. Yeah, um, that's good. <laughs> um, just went to the launch for MGM bet Sportsbook with the beginning of gambling or the opening up of sports gambling here and Wendell Clark was there Yeah, and he gave me a breath mint I don't know if that was a hint or not <laughs> but I can say Wendell Clark gave me a breath i I haven't really in, I don't interact with people because I just don't have the guts like I just kind of stay in my lane although one cool one was um Many years ago, I did the CHL Prospects game. The first game I ever did of any kind of that now Scotiabank Arena was the Prospects game. Is that the Cherry versus Orr game? Yeah, the Cherry versus Orr game. But it was um, the co- assistant coaches or the coaches were Doug Gilmore against Wendell Clark. Huh. And I was a teenager. I was 15, 16 years old for those back-to-back Final Fours when Gilmore was, like, otherworldly, right? Yep. And Wendell Clark was my favorite player growing up. So I'm walking around under the bowl – before the game, I just walked by Wendell and Doug talking to each other. And I stopped. I'm like, like 16 year old me is like, <laughs> where would you be right now? If you like, how would you react if you saw this? And this was you and you're that close. So I don't, I'm trying to think, but I know, but I'm I know you, when Simon. I stopped talking to you, I know when I stopped talking, I'm going to think
0: of other <clears throat> ones that I've forgotten. But if it's Wendell, that, that I hope you didn't use the breath mint. You should have pocketed it and you put it in a trophy case or something. I absolutely used it. <laughs> 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 now being as you come to your uh you, you said i believe 500 marley's games you've done how many pizza slices and hot dogs have you eaten at coca-cola coliseum
1: they feed us well at uh, uh coca-cola coliseum and i and i'm really bad too because like they feed we get like pre-game meals right but i feel like i need more when i get to the six so i'll go down to concessions and get like a big thing of coke don't do what i do don't drink pop while you're supposed to be talking in a mic it's supposed to be water but i'll go get like a pop and like some candy and my pre-diabetic self is like stop, but um, you know, um, it, for years it was pizza every day. Uh, for years it was like chicken fingers and stuff, and it was for years pre-COVID it was these random big thick chicken burgers that we think were chicken, but we're not sure what they were. But they tasted good. It was free
0: food, man. I'll eat anything. <laughs> I can't eat that. <laughs> Speaking of food, outside of the sports realm, back to your uh, your your date place is scarborough where do you like to eat in scarborough or or wider gta where do you like to go and eat oh man
1: i missed the days we really haven't done many restaurants yeah um shout out in my area um sale which is on kingston road great sushi place or great um we've gotten big food there um it is as we talk it is friday um pizza nova is the go-to in our house yes my kids discovered swiss chalet recent weeks
0: oh that's cool well, that can be Boy, yeah
1: is they, they're not at the point of drinking the sauce yet, but uh, <laughs> um, for the area, shout out to, St- I'm just around the corner from Stone Cottage Pub. Okay. That's a good place. Um, my I, One of the first dates I ever went with with my wife was the Black Dog, which is out near Port Union Way, Yeah, near where she grew up. Um, let me think what else, top of my head. I know I'm forgetting something. Um, you have a good
0: greasy spoon there. You like to go bacon and eggs or you're sleeping?
1: Um, No. Oh, man. So back when I was working at the score, I'd go to the golden we'd walk to the golden griddle at Maple Leaf across the Maple Leaf Garden oh, yeah. after a shift. We'd get when yep. the sun was coming up. Um, there used to be uh, a nice greasy spoon, but I think it closed. Um, um not Greasy Spoon, but Lamana's out in Port Union Way. Fantastic bakery. They've been there a long time. My wife introduced me to that place, and that is our go-to for birthday cakes. Um I'm trying to think Greasy Spoons. I was a Johnny's Burgers guy when I grew up, lived in New York, uh, North York. Johnny's yeah. Burgers uh, uh, in Big Park. Um, That's still there,
0: by the way. I, I grew across there. This, I was across the street from John Anderson's, which was a few blocks from Johnny's. And uh, it always amazed me, as you know, Johnny's, he won't sell. So they they built around him. So. <laughs> they got all these condos around him and this little dinky burger joint. Still there. still there. What do you like to do in Toronto in the non-eating category? What do, what do you enjoy doing or going to? In your free time but, well pre-covid
1: or now yeah um, well i guess pre-covid I and hopefully you'll get back there again you know what like honestly a lot of what um we do is based on what our kids do so sure so i don't really have time to do have a life because you know my son plays just finishing his hockey season playing so like my daughter's in gymnastics um things where the whole family can go to even if it's like a really like rec room um yep. there's one out in Whippy. We did my son's birthday there. It's a nice spot. Um, Flying Squirrel, Trampoline Park, that's a good place. Okay. Um uh, on an average day, if you take me to a place that happens to have golden tea, I'm happy. So even like so, you know, I'll 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 shout out Reg Room once in a while. Also, another greasy spoon, I just remembered. Shamrock burgers. Yes, and Shamrock. The onion rings are to die for. And they may also kill you, but they are to die for. <laughs> Oh, um, so yeah, I really haven't done like it's funny, I really haven't done a lot. We haven't done a lot for ourselves, but uh you know, I just, I just like honestly, I just like going out and having a drink with or going out for dinner with friends, which we really haven't done enough. Like we've somehow avoided COVID in our house, to wood right now. yes I have kids in school and there are cases, but uh you know, like like someone said to me at work, Yeah, you either avoid COVID because you live on your own or you have no friends. I'm like oh. No, I have friends, I swear. That's Um, the line
0: I heard too, but I don't, I don't (laughs) accept that. You were lucky to, you were lucky and hopefully you stay lucky and we can get out again to some of these places you like. Simon, as we wrap up, I appreciate your time so much. What are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and beyond both in your voice work, but also anything else you're working on or or have goals for?
1: Just going to keep working. Work on the grind. I, I've always considered myself very lucky to be doing what I'm doing at City News and with the Marlies.
0: You got the dream um, job, I'm telling you.
1: I'm, I'm, I pinch myself a lot, kind of like I very much lucked into 680 because I just happened to be filling in and I got on the right side of the right people and they trust my work. Like it's all about trust, right? Like yeah. I have to trust the people at City News, I have to trust the people at MLSC and the Marlies. I really can't ask for anything else. So I just, um my projection for the rest of the year is not screwing it up um you know and who knows who knows what the next few months brings i want to travel more like i said we're going to vancouver soon uh we are and I, I know this is kind of out of budget for a lot of people but we do cruises every year right before Ooh, COVID, that's nice Disney. so we've already booked our next one for the new year for 2023 we haven't done it since covid so i want to travel more i think that's the number one thing Got a spot, you know, we're also lucky enough that we have a place in Muskoka where we can go and just being absolutely thankful for everything.
0: You know what I mean? You said it. I agree with you. Let's not take anything for granted. Simon, where can we best follow you and hear you on a regular basis? All right, so if you're up in the
1: morning driving to work or going, rolling from your bed to your home office, which is still a thing, uh, I'm on six. I'm sitting News 680, out from usually on every morning. Uh, 15 and 45 plus every hour or anytime at sportsnet.ca there we go um you'll see me at marley's games uh on twitter i'm sports voice guy on instagram i'm sports voice guy i just got lucky that when i went on social media that that name wasn't taken and i'm never giving it up um excellent. that's where you'll find me
0: excellent well again thank you for your time And to the listeners, we say thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of Simon Bennett, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.